From the Partnership for Public Service, you're listening to Transition Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at presidential transitions. I'm David Marchick. Today on Transition Lab, we have Clay Johnson. In many respects, Clay was the absolute perfect person to run then-Governor George W. Bush's transition planning effort in the year 2000. He went to high school and college with Governor Bush and therefore had his total trust. He served as appointments director and chief of staff to Governor Bush, and therefore he knew government. And he had a business background and therefore knew how to run teams and systems. This background and Clay's considerable skills enabled him to deliver a smooth transition widely regarded as one of the best in U.S. history. After running that transition, Clay served in the George W. Bush administration for eight years, running the presidential personnel office, and serving as deputy director of OMB. He's one of the world's experts on transition, and we're thrilled to have him. Clay, thank you very much for joining. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be doing it. Before you joined the transition, you were Governor Bush's chief of staff and appointments director, and Texas has a lot of appointments, and so you had experience doing that. How did that experience help you start the transition planning process? Well, it was super important. Uh, there, there are six or seven states that are set up like Texas that the government is very citizen-centric, and so there are boards of people that run the university systems and the different agencies and so forth, and so Texas had about as many appointees for the governor to make, 3,000 plus, as the federal government did. And so, one, we had to deal with the volume, same kind of volume of appointments that it turned out Bush was going to have to do if and when he was uh, elected president. And it turned out that Bush's goal for us in his appointments office in Austin was to uh, find the best people to do the work. And I said, well, okay, that's fine, sir, but I don't know anything about politics. He said, no, no, no. I want you to find the best people, and I'll use the political affairs office to deal with the politics. And so that turned out to be exactly the way he wanted it approached in the federal level. So when did you start working on his presidential transition? He ran in 2000, but when did you start working? His chief of staff in, in Texas, uh, Joe Albaugh, was leaving to go run the campaign. And so he asked me to come down and be his chief of staff. Not a political person, but he thought I could do it because the legislature wasn't going to be meeting for that next year. So I went down. He said, the other thing I want you to do, Clay, is I want you to prepare a plan for what I do when I win the presidency. This was in June of 1999. Old statement, right. So it's 16 months or so before the uh, presidential election. I don't think anybody started that early ever, before or after. And I said, well, that's great. I'm honored that you're asking me. Wow, I'm just overwhelmed. But how do you, since I know nothing about it, how do you suggest I proceed? And you say, well, there's been a lot written about it uh, recently in the last couple of years. So there's a lot to read about it. And I can set up meetings with you and people that have been integrally involved at the federal level. And it's just your challenge is to take all that and develop a plan. And so you then started talking to people. I guess you talked to Jim Baker, Dick Cheney, George Shultz, and then you read a bunch of articles and papers. What was the most important advice you got from these various people and the resources? There was a lot of it. Baker and Schultz were just invaluable people, and they were so welcoming. The general direction that I got from them was, be sure you have clear definitions of success that you want to try to accomplish by when from the transition. Don't win looking for general 
things you want to work hard at, but develop the list of things that you want to for sure accomplish by specific dates to best prepare, in this case, Governor Bush to be president. Separately, I said, there's the campaign staff that's different than the transition staff. There'll be a lot of people you'll want to talk to who are involved in the campaign, but the people that are actively working with you on the transition should not be involved in the campaign. The campaign people are working full-time. The transition people will be need to, need to be working full-time as well, and never the twain should be meeting on a regular basis. The highest priority for a transition is that you pick the cabinet and subcabinet with a focus on finding the best people to do the work that your president wants them to do. Also, the White House staff was very important and that they ought to be in place by before Christmas time because the White House staff has to be in place to be able to give the cabinet secretaries uh, direction about what the, what the president wants them to do. And the other reason for having the White House staff available as early as possible is Andy Card used to say that the most valuable asset in the world is the U.S. president's time and voice. And the president needs to have white senior White House staff around him to maximize how he spends his time and what he says. They also made the point that uh, the public is going to be very interested in how this president-elect is going to act. And so uh, the public affairs people and communication people need to be focused on that and they need to be challenged with that. And then also you will be deluged by office seekers and advice givers and be prepared to not have them be descending upon you and taking away from what you're trying to accomplish. Be Be organized enough to be proactive about how you take their input and be very, very clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish. Be very, very good about communicating to the people that we're going to be helping to go forward in the transition and make sure that they know that all of you all are going to be held accountable for getting your president off to the best start possible. There's often just great tension between the campaign and the transition team. Uh, Stu Eisenstadt and Dave Rubenstein talked about it in the Carter campaign where it, it just really affected their first year in office. But the Bush team Obviously, there's always some tension, but you seem to manage that very well. How did you reduce that tension between the transition team and the campaign? Well, I was a known entity to them, and um, I had worked with the senior people in Austin. They knew that I was methodical, organized, systematic about things. That I was in, the way I managed things was to do it with people, not to people. That I was focused entirely on the success of my. 50-year-plus friend. The campaign was in Austin. I was in Austin, so we could visit quickly and informally a lot. So there really wasn't much concern. And uh, I was good at reaching out to them, and they knew they could come visit with me if they had a question about, are you doing this and doing that? So it was just a very uh, professional adult relationship, I thought. And so Governor Bush started with you early, and he said, when when I win, I want you to be ready. One of the things that you advised Governor Bush very early, I think in the summer of 2000, was to pick his chief of staff early, even ahead of the election. Why did you think that was important and how did he react? That was something that Jim Baker and George Schultz commented because uh, it was key to the person who was going to be making the decision and working with the president to pick the senior White House staff was the chief of staff. And so if the chief of staff is asked to join the White House team on the day after election day, he he or she is going to have to take a week or 10 days to 
put his game face on and you're going to waste a week or 10 days. And when I mentioned it to Bush in the summer, uh, that was one of the recommendations. When we get to a month or so away from the election, I'm going to be encouraging you to pick your chief of staff. So you might be thinking about who it ought to be. I don't have the slightest idea who it ought to be, but you will have met people, know people from your time with your father in Washington and know people in the campaign and so forth. And uh, just be thinking about it between now and then. And and he did. And so let's talk about your role versus Andy's role. So you were focused on the cabinet and the agencies, and then really it's the chief of staff designates prerogative to pick the White House staff. Is that best practice in your yeah. view? He had worked in a White House and I had not. And he knew what each of the key people on the White House staff did and the kind of people that would be best suited to have that position. My role in it was to say, Andy, the recommendation from Baker and Schultz, for instance, is that you have your White House staff senior people identified by about the middle of December so that you can get them set up by the end of December and they can be working on White House-related activities at the beginning of January prior to the inauguration. One other thing that you and the governor decided was that if he were to win, that Vice President Cheney would serve as chairman of the transition, which is not typical, but why did you think that was a good idea? And what was the impact of Vice President Cheney Vice President-elect Cheney's chairmanship of the transition post-election day. He was extremely valuable in that role. Andy Carr told me after the fact, he said it was very unusual to ask the vice president-elect to be the chair of the transition. I said, why is that unusual? And he said, well, it's because that um, there's somebody else then that's being interviewed uh, and it takes it can take some press attention and public attention away from the person they elected to be president. But Cheney was a perfect person to be the chair of the transition that had 30 some odd days to get prepared to govern versus 70 some odd days, which was normally the time that a president-elect had. Uh, he knew about DC. He knew what had to be done to reach out to Congress, to reach out with key industry groups. So to have somebody with his experience just made so much sense. And Andy, for the same reason, was just a perfect guy to be chief of staff. It was just a really good bunch of people at the top. Yeah. Andy's a wonderful guy and someone I've known a long time and he was he was great. Yeah. All right. So you're you've planned for 16 months. You have a great team. You've taken wisdom from people like Secretary of State James Baker. Yeah. You're organized and election day happens and so here's, here's what happened. If you are just waking up and uh, just tuning in, you should know that after uh, a long night of swing votes, the presidential race is frankly still too close to call. So the country goes into this 30-some day limbo. Nobody knows who the next president's going to be until the Supreme Court rules. What did you do the day after the election, and how did this limbo, this uncertainty, affect what you did as the lead of the transition? Well, uh, on the day after the election day, nobody knew how long it was going to take to resolve. And so we were just all standing at parade rest, and we were shuffling papers and kind of remembering what our goals were and continue to work on it privately, maybe 10 days into it. Um, Cheney and Dick decided, I'm sure he talked to the president about this, we have to assume we're going to win this thing. We have to prepare as if we know we're going to win it. And uh, the decision was that we would meet up there right after Thanksgiving and form a, a privately funded 
transition office to start doing the things that a transition would do for an officially elected George W. Bush. And even though he wasn't officially official yet. So that I remember sitting on a plane, uh, somebody had secured a, a private plane for us to fly up there on. And I remember sitting with my cohorts there and we were waiting to take off from Austin. And I looked at him and I said, you know what we're getting ready to do? And I they said, no, what Clay? I said, we're getting ready. We're on our way to Washington to try to do what has never been called upon to do or been necessary to do in American history. This has never happened before. So we are off on a history making venture. And I know we are extremely well prepared to do this. And they looked at each other and said, we agree. And so we went at it with some kind of serious gusto. So the typical transition is 77 or 78 days, which is not a long period of time. You had 39 days. So how did that shortened period affect your ability to get people appointed, get their people selected, and do all the things that you had planned to do in 77, 78 days, but now you only had 39 days. Well, we the goals were still the goals. We didn't say, well, our goal, you know, we're going to lower our expectations here and lower what we're trying to accomplish. So we set out as if everything was possible. And uh, so Andy set off working long and hard to think through who were the senior people in the White House staff, who were there to be. And we had some names. And so we sat down with the president and started uh, talking to him about uh, people that we casually visited about off and on about might be good people to consider for uh, this cabinet position or that cabinet position. And we started talking more specifically with hopefully Vice President-elect Cheney and uh, different staff people, I mean, policy people and so forth about to get agreement on who ought to be the key cabinet department heads. One great thing Cheney did, well, besides the fact that we have to assume we win and let's go, let's go start working as if we have won. Besides bringing that mindset to it, he also had the, the foresight to bring in a guy named Fred Fielding. Nobody knows more about the functioning of the White House or the ins and outs of Washington or the legal matters or the ethical matters than Fred Fielding. And besides that, he's a fabulous human being. So he shows up and he decides what we're going to do is we have to, we don't want to think about somebody seriously for a cabinet position or senior White House position. And if we're not certain, reasonably certain, that they're going to be clearance checkable and not have conflicts. And so he would have conversations with people that we were initially uh, interested in and that they were initially also interested in being considered for the White House position or for a senior cabinet position. It's what we call humorously the sex, drugs, and rock and roll interview that Fred would have with them and said, I'm going to ask you some half a dozen questions about, you know, what your business interests are, investment interests are, and so forth, any background issues and so forth. And I'm expecting total honesty from you. And if and when we then actually are elected and we do, in fact, nominate you, and it turns out you have problems or conflicts, you have to know that we're going to drop you like a hundred pound weight. And so that's why they were able to cut a lot of cut a lot of corners with this because we had senior people who could do what the clearance process would do more extensively uh, later on, but he had to do it in a hurry. And so that's why we made good progress. We didn't get to 165 people by April 1st because we didn't get the start. But before the year was over and done with, we had done as well in the first year as any prior uh, administration had done. 
Yeah, I think you actually did better than any prior administration at the one-year mark. Yeah. At the 100-day mark, I think Obama was ahead, um, but you know you caught up essentially and, yeah. and surpassed everybody. Yeah. So let's let's move forward to when you're actually in the White House. So you take over as PPO director, the head of presidential personnel. And George W. Bush did something different than other presidents. Typically, the head of PPO goes and talks to the chief of staff, and the chief of staff would talk to the president. But President Bush himself met with you and the personnel staff and others on a weekly basis. How did that personal involvement help or hinder the process of putting together a government? Well, it was very important. It's the way we had done it in Austin. Remember, I had done this work and supported Governor Bush in the same fashion for four and a half years. And we had a system and he wanted it done exactly like that. And he he realized he felt good about the time he spent on that in a, an office meeting. And it was typically 25, 30 people that he would review every week. And it's a real process. You know, what kind of person are we looking for to fill this position? What do we want them to do? What kind of person is best prepared to do that? Uh, do we want somebody who's a manager? Do we want somebody who's a policy person? Do, we have, do they have the basic human qualities, et cetera, et cetera? that we're looking for. And then he'd say, I agree. And then we move on with it. And so he had done it this way for four and a half years. And so this is the way he hoped to do it for four, if not eight years. And so it got us off to a fabulous start. In fact, one of my proudest moments was the very first day uh, that Bush was in the Oval Office serving as president. He was sworn in January 20th, which was Saturday. Sunday was a move-in day. So his first day in the office was on Monday. So anyway, at eight o'clock, we had three or four people in the office with the president and went through this incredibly crisp, results-oriented meeting that took about 20, 25 minutes. And it was a, probably a successful a briefing meeting that the president had in his entire eight years. I mean, he had a lot of successful meetings, but it was, it was as professional and as crisp as on day one as anything he had on day at the last uh, and just because we were, we knew exactly what he wanted and, ha- and the form he wanted it in, and that's what we gave him. And I told him when we left the left the Oval Office, we were in the office in the in the hallway outside. I turned to him and the staff, and I said, "You all should be. We should be very proud. That's as good a st- briefing as he's ever going to have in however long he's president. And uh, you all were just fantastic, so professional. And the main thing was that." Vice President Cheney was there and Andy Card were there because they had never been in an appointments meeting of any sort. And here they were seeing how well it was going to be done on day one and exactly that well done for the remainder of the time Bush was in office. So, Clay, one of the big challenges is control between the White House and the cabinet. You had very strong cabinet officers, Colin Powell, Mike Levitt, who's worked with the partnership. How did you balance who picked the sub-cabinet, and who had control over those selections? Uh, yeah, one of the things that uh, everybody that we talked to had advised us was don't delegate to the cabinet secretaries the picking of all of their sub-cabinet members or all their schedule C's or whatever, because that's never been successful. And don't give them z- zero say in who their people are going to be, because that's also never been successful. So our the way we structured it and was very clear with every cabinet secretary was that this would be collaborative. We had to both agree on who the subcabinet was going to be, the people confirmed by the Senate, who the Schedule C's were going to be, and it was going to be quick and easily easily done. So anyway, and that worked fabulous. I remember talking to him about Colin Powell, and um, I had my first meeting with Colin Powell, who I was 
so proud to get to meet for the first time. And I was explaining how we were going to do this. And I said, I, I said, Colin, I expect that 92% of the people you bring into the state department are going to people that you have worked with before, and that'll be fine. But there are other people will identify that for you to consider. And there'll be maybe people you don't know who should be in positions and we're able to find people for that as well. And how did you balance between choosing loyalists and people that have been around the governor in Texas with people that have DC experience? Whether you had been around the governor or whether you had been in DC experience, it all tied back to what the president's charge to me was, which is find the best people to do the work. By the way, an offshoot of that is in Texas, somebody told me about halfway through the governor's first year in office that I had a nickname amongst uh, the senators there uh, that my nickname was the icebox or the refrigerator. And I asked him, well, why is that my nickname? He said, because when it comes to appointments, you're known to be tall, white, and cold. <laughs> and okay. because I was not Mr. Hale fellow well met, I was not somebody that was going to be trying to glad hand people and curry favor with people. I had one client and that was the governor and they under, came to understand that. And that's what it was. So anyway, that spread up to people in Washington and it was actually in the paper uh, one time that this was my nickname in Texas. And it was, it was put in the paper as a, a derogatory statement about me. Well, actually it's the highest compliment you can pay to somebody who is a presidential appointments person. We spent a lot of time thinking about this. The question we asked ourselves when we were looking at a, a new position we wanted to fill was what kind of person are we looking for? Uh, do we want this person to be a management person or a policy person? Uh, do we want somebody to be a change agent or somebody to manage what's already well, well regarded? Or do we want somebody to be politically savvy? Do we want somebody who has credibility in Congress or it's not important? Do we want somebody who has to do a lot of, has a lot of, be a public person, give a lot of public speeches, or does not have to be a public person. And we want somebody who's got prior association with an issue, or maybe we want somebody that's never been associated with this issue because it's very controversial. And so they come in with a fresh perspective. And that's, that's critically important. You're not looking for a warm body. You're not looking for somebody who helped the candidate get elected or had known him a long time. Uh, you're looking for somebody who has the kind of background experience to do what needs to be done. You had an enviable record of success, more appointments than any other administration in history. There were a few problems. Linda Chavez had some tax problems she had to withdraw. Harriet Myers had to withdraw as Supreme Court nominee. Paul O'Neill didn't work out as perfectly as, as you expected. So is it just every administration is going to have a few problems and there's just that's just how it goes? Or what is your view with 2020 hindsight on some of the stumbles? The uh, answer is uh, yes, uh, there will always be stumbles. In the cases where uh, we pick somebody who turned out to be not as well suited as we thought, we look back at that and there were only two or three maybe significant examples of that. And we figured out the reason that happened was we had only relied on one person's opinion about their capabilities as opposed to multiple people's opinion of the capabilities. And it turned out our assessment of the person's capabilities was inaccurate. 
So Clay, you've become an elder statesman, something of a, a wise man on transition issues. You've worked with a partnership. You have advised subsequent transition teams like the Romney team. If there's one piece of advice that you'd make sure that every transition team internalized, what would that be? Decide what your picture of success is. What do you want to accomplish in a transition? January 20th, what do you want to be prepared to do? And what do you have to do by December 15th and December 20th and January 1st and so forth to be that prepared by January 20th? And then go do it. But it begins with a realistic, aggressive picture of success. And then you work backwards from there to figure out what you have to do tomorrow and the next day and so forth. That's the key to having a successful transition into office. Clay Johnson, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your service to our country. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Again, I'm honored and, and really enjoyed being with you all. If you like Transition Lab, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.